bullshit, it's all just dumb gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that, cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. Ooh, it's all shit, it's all shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. I mean, are we gonna die? I don't know. I, I, you're extreme. I am extreme. It's all shit. Uh uh. This shit is bananas. B A A A A S. This shit is Trumpanas. T R U M P A N A N A S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Dumb Gay Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about the week in politics like we're talking about reality TV. And today is our third ever Democratic debate special. Today we are abandoning the regular format for Dumb Gay Politics so we can bring you the highlights from last week's Democratic debate. Mm-hmm. And since this is our third ever Democratic debate special, Meow Meow, mm-hmm. we will now proceed with the recycled intro from the first and second ever <laughs> Democratic debate specials. That's right. So if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. We appreciate you joining our other 14 listeners. But just remember, this is not a regular episode. So keep that in mind when you're getting bored or offended. Also keep in mind, we're actually more boring and more offensive on our regular episodes, <laughs> which is why we hold strong with just 14 listeners. 14 <laughs> masochists with mental problems just like us and if you do get offended by anything in this episode feel free to send us a message on our patreon page www.patreon.com slash dumb gay politics we try and read all our messages and comments there and we appreciate them all even the rude ones and we do get some mm-hmm. and while you're there go ahead and sign up mm-hmm. we offer one hour-long podcast a week for one dollar Or you can sign up for two hour-long podcasts a week for $2. No one else does that. It's the best deal going. You get two extra hours of content. And including that, that makes three hours of our annoying fucking voices Mm -hmm. per week. $2. No no politics. No ads. No structure. (laughs) Two hours of complete and utter bullshit. Last week, we did a cooking episode in Julie's Kitchen where she made organic SpaghettiOs with meatballs from scratch. And I drank red wine and bossed her around. (laughs) And it was a highlight, okay? (laughs) It was one of those magical, magical episodes where we all just came together as a community. And you know what? (laughs) A a community of nitrate-loving garbage food people. (laughs) And the shit was good. Chef Meow Meow RD outdid herself, honey. (laughs) It was Skedios for the fucking gods and for the ages. We posted a picture on the Patreon. If you're not a um, subscriber, you can go check it out. The picture's available to everyone, so... Delicious. I'm going to go ahead and make those meatballs right again. Oh, those yeah. Those sheet balls are getting made We're going to eat them, like, because we're, now we're eating meat like snacks, because yeah. we're on we're on just different health kicks. Um, Chris Bardo commented when he saw the Michael Avenatti um, video on Instagram of, the, of, our, of our interview with him. Mm-hmm. That we looked amazing, and he thought from the Patreon we had let ourselves go. Um, Chris and everyone, <laughs> lest anyone think we've let ourselves go. It's an ongoing health kick, diet kick. What gets, what runs away from us is our addictions, not really our go 
We don't let ourselves go physically, but we, um, you know, the mental problems stack up, but we try Mm -hmm. to keep it, you know, relatively tight. It's like kind of like shining up a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Mm. We polish it up well, Mm -hmm. but the inside is rancid and smelly (laughs) and awful and rotting. Um, So, yeah, Mm. we've been on different. We go health kicks. Mm -hmm. We haven't. We've done a half Sovember. Right. And we're just we're just trying to really practice moderation. That is correct, and that goes with that's with everything, just across the board. That's right. Now, before we get going with the debates, meow meow, mm-hmm. we do want to thank someone for a mystery box of Kleenex. Okay, you guys, literally a huge box from Amazon containing only <laughs> tissues and no note came to our mailbox. And girl, we hit. The mother load, okay? <laughs> we were in a tissue state of fucking emergency over here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is causing the the running faucets of our nose. Don't know. But we we have had a deep, deep supply of Kleenex and tissues. We have puffs. We have different ones. Mm-hmm. Ange gets us different unique box shapes. Mm-hmm. We were down to our last two. Mm-hmm. We were literally having team meetings <laughs> Between me and Meow Meow, basically dumpling, because he's the one causing all the allergies, probably, and our basic state of addiction and unhealth and unwellness. But I was like, I think my mom has a Costco card. When the bitch comes to town, I'll have her either go down and get us a gift card, because we through our research, we found out if a person with a Costco card mm-hmm. gives a non-member a gift card. You may use it. You may roll in like a player mm-hmm. and be like, I'm not contributing to this garbage warehouse culture mm-hmm. i'm just dipping in to get the, not, the kleenex yeah nine thousand boxes of tissue and an <laughs> extra alcohol. large thing of vodka <laughs> now you can get vodka in any of the alcohol you guys without being a costco member right. so go in your town and go do that because they have huge huge bottle. get them all for gifts you want to get your boss a gift go down and get him a 30 dollar. i shouldn't say him do you go down and get her a, a five foot tall bottle of gray goose for 30 dollars mm-hmm. or whatever costco has it all what we wanted was Kleenex. Someone sent it. We don't know who. No, but thank God. Maybe it was God. I think it was Maybe God. Maybe it was Yahweh. Maybe it was Adonai. Maybe it was, it was Jesus. Allah. I Maybe think it was Jesus. Jesus. Jesus walks That's right. with Kleenex. We prayed to Kanye mm-hmm. and here it is for our, for our um, anniversary. Now, here's what the thing. Yeah. There's no note. Sometimes half the time there's a note. Like, for example, when Danielle got us the lanyards. No note. No note. We were like, who could this be? Is it Jason Moss? We don't know. (laughs) Again, God sent us lanyards the day before we left for a cruise. So I like to imagine. Yeah. The person went on there. They bought several different gifts. Mm -hmm. Amazon sucks. It's a piece of shit. We get a gigantic box of just Kleenex. I mean, thank God the male people can't see what's in our shit. I think the person went on there and ordered a battery of stuff. It's tissues and maybe they got us, you know, Sharpies. Or maybe they, awesome. maybe they're sending us yellow legal, legal pads. What I like to imagine is the other box that's going to arrive oh. has a brand new office chair in it. Oh. Mine's peeling. <laughs> the, the leather, and I'm saying that term loosely, is now peeling. This is probably what's causing the allergies. Do you think that the next box after that will be a new laptop? And then, like... Like new, uh, like enough sealant and paint <laughs> to do my fence and whole yard, and a box of cleaning. Then, then two weeks later, a box of all cleaning supplies just comes. Ev- every type just, like, of cleaning supplies. Like all the things supply. you need. Like all of a sudden, 
just things start showing up from like a <laughs> fucking angel Amazon person who works there but is about to quit. So they're sending us all of yeah. the shit. It's like Windex, Clorox, <laughs> exactly. toilet cleaner. I see a, a line of empty cleaning supplies sitting on, on Julie's counter. I'm like, what is this? Are, why, throw these in the recycling. No, I need to remember. I need those. I'm like, this is literally every cleaning supply. I know. What are you cleaning now with? Water and rags. Great. <laughs> so I'm true. so happy. Thank you. Whoever you are, please go on our website julianbrandy.com um and um there's a message thing there and just tell us so we can thank you yeah tell us who gave us the kleenex we will be using it i might i might still have my mom take me to costco just so i can get kleenex yeah, well, yeah. you know for my house right, that's right. the right that's the correct shape if i may also this since this is the week of thanksgiving i would like to i think we could both say that um we we appreciate all your gifts and cards and every single thing that you send us, but mostly we're just grateful that you listen and that you're here with us. We really do appreciate that. There's You don't need to send gifts, but we really do appreciate it. And I want to say that I am thankful for this podcast and for you and for all of you listening. That's so nice. Ditto. Now it's time to get going with our third ever Dumb Gay Politics Debate Special. When you're running for the White House And you want to get ahead You gotta get attention Or else your campaign's dead Iowa, New Hampshire It's always been your dream And it might work out Just don't become a me don't become a me. You gotta keep your image clean. Don't become a me. Some things can't be unseen. Everything you do ends up on YouTube. Everything you do ends up on YouTube. Don't you know that everything you do ends up Everything you do ends up on you to root. Keep this in your head. Don't ever try to speak Spanish if you don't know how. El hombre del pelequin. <laughs> All right. So last Wednesday, MSNBC partnered with the Washington Post and held the third Democratic debate with all of the major candidates on one stage. We had, I spy with my eye, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Andrew Yang, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Tom Steyer, and Tulsi Gabbard. Bader O'Rourke officially withdrew a few weeks ago, and Julian Castro is still holding on, but will withdraw any day now, because you're done, cupcake, right. you're done. And you're blocked. Um, <laughs> and gone, but not forgotten, kooky Marianne oh. Williamson al- also wasn't there. Now, Meow Meow, do we have any word if she's still in it or what? Brandy, thank you for having me on. Oh, God. As everyone knows, I was once again blacklisted from the debate. I'm not gone. I'm still here. I'm traveling around the country. <laughs> I am also in Iowa giving speeches, oh, you moved. town halls. I think you moved to Iowa for this. I am so rich I can rent or Airbnb a place if I choose, and that is what I choose, I mean, because I am my word, and my word is my word. 
I say this with love, I say it with gratitude, I say it with acceptance and appreciation. And I hope that all of you will do as well. Mr. President, I hope you're listening. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, <laughs> so for this debate special, okay, we pulled the clips and highlights that we found the most interesting or relevant. There are tons of things we couldn't include in the interest of time. We've already taken up too much time with our goddamn intro. So we apologize in advance if your favorite part or your favorite candidate doesn't get the attention it deserved. We're banking on the fact that most of you didn't even watch this fucking thing, okay? <laughs> Again, send us a hate note on our Patreon page, or better yet, leave us a bad review on iTunes. Our three-year anniversary is in two weeks, and we only need 19 more reviews to mm. get up over 1,400, and a bad review is still a review. So leave one, please. <laughs> yes, please. Because if you're here for Tulsi Gabbard, you are in the wrong place. <laughs> because you'll only be hearing from her one time. And the only reason you're hearing from her at all is because Kamala Harris puts her in her shitty place. Okay, so <laughs> the first topic up for discussion was impeachment. And surprise, surprise, they all want Trump impeached. So we want to start off with Elizabeth Warren, the queen, who manages to bring the impeachment conversation around to her plan for a wealth tax. Why? Because OBS. Hell yes to the wealth tax. Go cry about it. Yeah. You know who won't be taxed in the wealth tax? Us. Mm -hmm. So we're fine with it. <laughs> I think the way we achieve our goals and bring our country together is we talk about the things that unite us. And that is that we want to build an America that works for the people, not one that just works for rich folks. You know, I have proposed a two-cent wealth tax. That is a tax for everybody who has more than $50 billion in assets. Your first $50 billion is free and clear. But your $50, 50 billion, billion. I mean, dollar, who doesn't like this? I don't get it. And when you get a billion dollars, you've got to pitch in a few pennies more. Here's the thing. Oh, 50 million. Doing a wealth tax yeah. is not about punishing Pay up, anyone. Tom. It's about saying you built something great in this country, good for you. But you did it using workers all all of us help pay to educate. You did it. Using your getting your goods to on roads and bridges, all of us help pay for it. You did it. Protected by police and firefighters, all of us help pay the salaries for. So when you make it big, when you make it really big, when you make it top one-tenth of one percent big, pitch in two cents so everybody else gets a chance to make it. And here's the thing. That's something that Democrats care about, independents care about, and Republicans care about. Because regardless of party affiliation, people understand across this country, our government is working better and better for the billionaires, for the rich, for the well-connected, and worse and worse for everyone else. We come together when we acknowledge that and say Thank we're going to make real change. Thank you, I, don't, I mean, listen, I'm not, I, if you think she can't get it done, if you think, like, no one's ever going to vote for it, that's one thing. Fine. Okay, great. But to say that that's not a good idea, I just don't agree with. I think it's a good idea. I think well, it's great. Well, here's, here's Cory Booker saying it's not a good idea. <laughs> Core boy's lucky he's at the top of the show here. <laughs> well, first of all, I think we all agree that we need to bring in a lot more revenue in this country. We actually have a real problem with the tax rates, tax loopholes, tax cheats. And I don't agree with the wealth tax the way that Elizabeth Warren puts it, uh, but I agree right. that we need to raise the estate tax. They say tax. it doesn't we work in other countries. Tax capital gains as ordinary income, real strategies will increase revenue. But here's a challenge. We as Democrats need to fight for a just taxation system. But as I travel around the country, we Democrats also have to talk about how to grow wealth as well. 
concepts. When I stood in church concepts. recently and asked folks in the black church, yeah. how many people no do you want to be entrepreneurs? Right. Half the church good raised idea. their hands. It's a good concept. We, if we do as need a country to grow don't start. If we have a party, don't start talking. We all need to love specifically too. But we do. We also need more empathy. Opportunities to create wealth, to grow businesses, to have their American dream. Because, yeah, we need to raise the minimum wage to a living wage, $15 an hour. True. But the people in communities I frequent, their not aspiration for their lives is not just to have those fair wages. They want to have an economy that provides not just equalities in wealth, but they want to have equalities of opportunity. And that's what our party has to be about as well. I think it is. You wanted to respond. Sure. So let me just tell you what we can do with that two-cent wealth tax. (laughs) Shove it up your ass. (laughs) On the top one-tenth of one percent in this country. And we can provide universal child care for every baby in this country, age zero to five. That is transformative. We can provide universal pre-K for every three-year-old and four-year-old in America. We can stop exploiting the women, largely black and brown women, who do this work. And we can raise the wages of every child care worker and preschool teacher in America. We can put 800 billion new federal dollars into all of our public wow. schools. We can make college tuition free for every kid. We can put $50 billion into historically black colleges and universities. And we can cancel student loan debt for 95% of the folks who've got it. Two cent wealth tax and we can invest in an entire generation's right, let me future. Let amazing. It's so amazing. We want that generation to be good and awesome so yeah. that they can die in climate change and, you know, when the world freezes <laughs> over and stuff in like 2029 or whatever. So um, mm-hmm. it is so big to just, I mean, just one part of what she even said, having every you know kid in America being able to go to pre-K, universal pre-K, that's three and four. If every kid, and right now, really, it's predominantly privileged kids of whatever race that get to go to pre-K because it costs money. Right. And so to make pre-K free, you're getting every kid into pre-kindergarten. That, that, what that does to a kid's education, the chances that those kids end up, whether it's in college or not, because college isn't the end all be all. I think we know that we both have degrees that are laying useless and covered in dust. Right now, (laughs) I'd use one as a Kleenex if I could, because God knows we need more and more Kleenex. That's what's huge about that. It's so, so important to understand what that will actually do to opportunity. She didn't directly speak to what Cory Booker said, but she was 100%, 100% being like, here's a million opportunities with what I just said. So next we go around to healthcare, which is all of their favorite thing to argue about. Right, Meow Meow? They love, I love it. I don't like listening to it. It makes me get anxiety because I think this they and and they tell you that this will be the issue that you win or lose on right and it gives me anxiety because they they think it'll it's what will make elizabeth warren lose and Mm -hmm. so well it's also the most spun the we the web of tales they're all telling about healthcare and how it works and how your choice and this the constantly saying the american people are smart people is the biggest guilter of this the uh, American people choose their choice. They're smart. They know what they want. They blah, 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 blah. It's just like, you guys. And it always starts with him, and it's going to start with him now because it's all about Medicare for all who want it. <laughs> oh, Pete. The reason I insist on Medicare for all who want it as the strategy to deliver want on it. that goal we share of universal health care is that that is something that, as a governing strategy, we can <clears throat> unify the American people around. Yeah. Creating a version of Medicare 
making it available to anybody who wants it, but without the divisive step of ordering people onto it, whether they want to or not. And I believe that commanding people to accept that option, whether we wait three years, as Senator Warren has proposed, or whether you do it right out of the gate, is not the right approach to unify the American people around a very, very big transformation that we now have an opportunity to deliver. So he name-checked Elizabeth Warren because I guess she's going to roll it out slowly and wait three years. So let's hear from, from Liz. Let's talk about Medicare for All. Senator Warren, you are running on Medicare for All. Democrats have been winning elections even in red states with a very different message on health care, protecting Obamacare. Democrats are divided on this issue. What do you say to voters who are worried that your position on Medicare for All could cost you critical votes in the general election? So I look out and I see tens of millions of Americans who are struggling to pay their medical bills. 37 million people who decided not to have a prescription filled because they just can't afford it. People who didn't take the tests the doctor recommended because they just can't afford it. So here is my plan. Let's bring as many people in and get as much help to the American people as we can, as fast as we can. On day one, as president, I will do uh, bring down the cost of prescription drugs on things like insulin and EpiPens. That's going to save tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for people. I'm going to defend the Affordable Care Act from the sabotage of the Trump administration. And in the first 100 days, I'm going to bring in 135 million people into Medicare for All at no cost to them. Everybody under the age of 18, everybody who has a family of four income less than $50,000. I'm going to lower the age of Medicare to 50 and expand Medicare coverage to include uh, vision and dental and long-term care. And then in the third year, when people have had a chance to feel it and taste it and live with it, we're going to vote and we're going to want Medicare for all. I think that the when the debate and the conversation around Medicare for all, Medicare for all who want it, health care and all of that, delves into you're taking choice away that is not what the american people want that is a an untrue argument Mm -hmm. and i think that it's i don't like it and if they were just to get to the brass tacks of what the deal is with health care and health insurance and medicare and medicare for all that maybe it would be at least we could have more of an explanation about it. And even if you said you're never going to get it done, that's well, just like not going to get it done. Joe Biden says it's too expensive. Congress won't vote on it. And the truth is, you're right. 100 percent right. It's an absolute smokescreen. Pete Buttigieg saying it that people don't want their choice taken away is a smokescreen. You know what? I don't want to have to get a real ID. I don't want to have to go down to the DMV right now and when my license have to renew my license and have to bring my passport to take a domestic flight to Las Vegas. That's 40 minutes Unless I go down and get a real ID where I'm basically registering Big Brother for the rest of my fucking life. I don't have a choice. But guess what I'm going to do? Do it. I'm going to go get a real ID because I don't want to carry my passport around. (laughs) So you do it. Nobody's like, we don't want laws. I don't want to. There's a ton of million things I don't want to have to do, but I do them. This isn't about choice. This is about cost. It's about special interests. Pete Buttigieg and Cory Booker and many of them are getting money put in their pocket from pharmaceutical companies and whatever. And that's what it's about. Period. Okay, let's hear Bernie, because you know the motherfucker wrote the damn bill. Senator Sanders, let me bring you into this conversation. Thank you. I wrote and the ask damn you bill. The question. <laughs> Doesn't even crack a smile. Well, I want to ask Bernie. you the question this way, Senator Sanders. You describe your campaign, including. So now it's time 
for a sense of humor sidebar. <laughs> Meow meow, play, play the clip again. I want you guys to listen to at the end of the clip. Kamala Harris laughs. She says Bernie, and she laughs. Meow meow, and I listened to this about twenty times. <laughs> Senator Sanders, let me bring you into this conversation. Thank you. I and ask you the question. <laughs> well, I want to ask Bernie. you the question this way, Senator Sanders. You describe your campaign, including. I mean, I wish they weren't talking over her because her laugh is so good. It's so infectious. Out of everyone on the stage, her and Cory Booker laugh the most and smile the most, Mm -hmm. period. Elizabeth Warren smiles a lot. Her and Bernie have more dry senses of humor. Yeah. The thing that people don't realize, I think, because I think probably even Hillary Clinton maybe had a dry sense of humor. Elizabeth Warren is a lot warmer. Yeah. Bernie and Hillary Clinton have super, super dry sense of humor. And coming from someone like me, who I will like cut you to the fucking, you know, bone and then not even smile. I get it. But when you're on TV, you have to smile. Right. The fact that Cory Booker and, and Kamala Harris laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. It's so necessary. It's so important. I asked Meow Meow before Obama. Because obviously he had a great sense of humor and was swag and all of the above. Who would you say was the president that had the best sense of or who had a sense of humor? I thought it was George W. And then before, and that's 100% true, when he spelled fucking potato wrong, he didn't care. Strategery, all that shit. He also seemed to be laughing a lot. Yeah. And people seemed to be laughing around him. Whether you were laughing at him or not, he was laughing too. So who before Bush would you say? um, I don't know if maybe, I don't know. I guess Reagan, but was he laughing? I don't know. Maybe. I think, I don't know. I was a kid, so I don't, but that's the thing. We just, our sense of humor sidebar is this. (laughs) I believed, and I said the whole time in 2016 that Hillary Clinton was going to lose because, or if she did lose, she was going to lose because Trump was funnier than her and she needed to be funnier. He was not only is Trump, he is funny, whether you like him or don't or not, he's he's funny. He's more playful. And even if he's being a dick and all of the above, it's like she needed to be more playful, more spontaneous and funnier. She's not playful at all. And if she's the kind of and Meow Meow said it best yesterday, you're the kind of person that that you don't think there's place for humor in at work then we're just not going to vibe with you because yeah. there's always got to be, you got to laugh when it's sad. If you don't, exactly, that you're showing heart, you're showing um, a recognition and acknowledgement of absurdity, which is uh, very important. If you don't, if you can't laugh at shit, that shows that you don't understand shit. Yeah. And that is, I mean, period, the end. If you are take, if you're being offended by everything, if you're never laughing, if you're taking everything seriously, if you're never getting into the dirt a little bit, you don't understand shit. Yeah. Period. Now, I want to tell you something. So according to GQ, the, they ranked the funniest the funniest presidents, okay? Guess we're late to the party <clears throat> on this theory. We are late to the party. <laughs> However, we are not far off, but we just don't know enough. Right. So and Standard. I, but I will say that number three and four are Obama and, 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 and George W. Bush. So, however, number one. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln. Okay, well, come on. And who would have known? But this is what they say, and I just wanted to say, he was bitchy and crass. His comedy specials were never let down. (laughs) His impressions were also known to be brilliant. With his mimicry prowess, probably slotted somewhere between Jimmy Fallon and the Police Academy guy. It's cliche, possibly even predictable, but don't let the revisionist historian Sully Honest Abe, our greatest and without a doubt most hilarious president. Wow, who's two? Number two is James Garfield. James Garfield was a droll little guy, always making biting, laconic jokes. Today, so are these two guys gay? 
Because <laughs> well, they do say Abraham Lincoln was gay. Yeah, because it's like you know you're gay if you're that funny. Abraham Lincoln, bitchy and crass. <laughs> Motherfuckers would had love letters to a male friend that he used to sleep with. By the way, just saying, Getting FYI, up there being cunty, reading people to bitchy film. and crass. <laughs> I mean, come on, genius. Like, so James Garfield was the twentieth president, and they say his slightly chubby orange frame, his love of lasagna, his hatred of Mondays, and his crippling fear of spiders. They just said he was funny. Well, that's our sense of humor sidebar. Think about it. So now we will let Bernie, who. To his credit, did crack the joke in the first place. And his it's now the third or fourth time he's done so, but it's not getting old for me. We'll let him right. talk about the damn bill he wrote. Okay. Yes. President Obama explicitly said the country is, quote, less revolutionary than it is interested in improvement. The average American doesn't think we have to completely tear down the system and remake it, end quote. Is President Obama wrong? No, he's right. We don't have to tear, tear down the system, but we do have to do what the American people want. And the American people understand today that the current health care system is not only cruel, it is dysfunctional. Now, you tell me how we have a system in which we spend twice as much as do the people of any other country, and yet we got 87 million uninsured, underinsured. In some cases, we pay 10 times more for prescription drugs as do the people of Canada or other countries. 500,000 people go bankrupt because of medically related issues. They come down with cancer, and that's a reason to go bankrupt. <laughs> I mean, he's funny because he's funny. Some people yeah. up like, here sorry, think that we should not take on cancer. the insurance industry. We should not take on the pharmaceutical industry. But you know what? If you think back to FDR, and if you think back to JFK, and Harry Truman, and Barack Obama, as a matter of fact, Obama. people have been talking about health care for all. Well, you healthcare. know what? I think now is the time. And in the first week of my administration, we will introduce Medicare for all. Medicare for all, that means no deductibles, no co-payments, no out-of-pocket expenses. Senator, That's where we got to go. Thank you, Senator. So let's hear from Joe Biden, who I think is one of the people he's he was indirectly talking to. Joe Biden says that this entire thing is too expensive. We'll let him explain it. Senator Sanders, Vice President Biden. You know, uh, we can do this without uh, charging people raising 30, 40 trillion dollars. The fact is that right now, the vast majority of Democrats do not support Medicare for all. It couldn't pass the United States Senate right now with Democrats. It couldn't pass the House. Nancy Pelosi is one of those people who then thinks it makes sense. We should build on Obamacare, provide the plan I put forward before anybody in here, adding a Medicare option in that plan, and not make people choose. Allow people to choose, I should say. But if you go the route of my two friends on my right and my left, you have to give up your private insurance. 160 million people like their private insurance. And if they don't like it, they can buy into a Medicare-like proposal in my plan. Drug prices go down, premiums go down across the board. But here's the deal. They get to choose. I trust the American people to make a judgment what they believe is in their interest and not demand of them what the insurance companies. They want no, no competition. And my friends say you have to only go Medicare for all. He makes the, the salient point that it's um, not cost effective and he's trying to go down that road. He is trying to use the spin of the choice, but he does make a good point about you know not being able to afford it. 
And we, Obamacare, we were supportive of Obamacare. And if that's what he continues to do for four more years, we would be, you know, until Kamala Harris can be president, we're fine with that. Okay, so now MSNBC took it into a place of like individualized questions per each candidate. So like if they had made some weird quote or said some dumb bullshit, they questioned them about it. So we're going to start with Tulsi Gabbard. This is when Meow Meow said is the first and only time we're going to hear from this fucking cunt bucket. <laughs> and only reason we're playing it is because she gets into a snafu with Kam- or Kamala Harris needs to put her in her place. They ask Tulsi a question about her shit talking on Hillary Clinton. Congresswoman Gabbard, you have criticized Hillary Clinton as the, quote, personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party. What is the rot you see in the Democratic Party? That our Democratic Party, unfortunately, is not the party that is of, by, and for the people. It's a, it is a party that has been and continues to be influenced by the foreign policy establishment in Washington, represented by Hillary Clinton and others' foreign policy, by the military-industrial complex and other greedy corporate interests. I'm running for president to be the Democratic nominee that rebuilds our Democratic Party, takes it out of their hands, and truly puts it in the hands of the people of this country, a party that actually hears the voices of Americans who are struggling all across this country, and puts it in the hands of veterans and fellow Americans who are calling for an end to this ongoing Bush-Clinton-Trump foreign policy doctrine of regime change wars, overthrowing dictators in other countries, needlessly sending my brothers and sisters in uniform into harm's way to fight in wars that actually undermine our national security and have cost us thousands of American lives. These are wars that have cost us as American taxpayers trillions of dollars since 9-11 alone, dollars that have come out of our pockets, out of our hospitals, out of our schools, out of our infrastructure needs. As president, I will end this foreign policy, end these regime change wars, work to end this new Cold War and arms race, and instead invest our hard-earned taxpayer dollars actually into serving the needs thank, of the American people thank you, right here at home. Senator Harris, any response? Oh, sure. <laughs> I, guess, I mean, yeah. hilarious. Um, I, I think that um, it, it's unfortunate that we have someone on the stage who is attempting to be the Democratic nominee for President of the United States, who during the Obama administration spent four years full-time on Fox News criticizing President Obama. That's who ridiculous, has spent full-time, That's ridiculous. Who has spent full-time criticizing people on this stage as affiliated with the Democratic Party. When Donald Trump was elected, not even sworn in, buddied up to Steve Bannon to get a meeting with Donald Trump in the Trump Tower, fails to call a war criminal by what he is as a war criminal, and then spends full time during the course of this campaign, again, criticizing the Democratic Party. What we need on the stage on, in November is someone who has the ability to win. And by that, we need someone on that stage who has the ability to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump and someone who has the ability to rebuild the Obama coalition and bring the party and the nation together. I believe I am that candidate. I think Tulsi Gabbard is being funded by, I don't know if it's Republicans or who's paying for her to get into these debates. Who do you think, Meow Meow? I feel like she's got libertarian money in there. I feel like maybe... Well, didn't you say that Jill Stein or whatever oh, her well, name was... she had was, Russia money going on. But she was the libertarian or the Green Party. Yeah. And it turned out, everybody thought she was a Green Party third candidate. Mm-hmm. And it turned out Russia was paying for her. Yeah. 
So in, in this case, I'm thinking it's got to be something like that. I think she's definitely got some Russian funneling money in there. And she's she's also and we're going to have to do a little digging, a little investigative journalism. But just upon a little surface checking, she says regime change war a million times. Yeah. She constantly goes through that regime change or regime change war. And yet she's not against war. So that makes me feel like, do you want authoritarians to be in power then? What is it that Russia's going to get from that? I know that you probably think this is a, like a little crazy, but it's like, why would you be against regime change war, let's say? And I use that in quotes because let's say we try and get somebody who's an authoritarian or a dictator out of power, which, yes, America does do. And yes, we've put in puppets. And yes, they turn into us dictators. OK, that's a different story. Why are you then pro other war? War. There's something fishy in the water. It smells like rotten. You know what the rot smells like? You, rotten Tulsi cunt. Gabbard. It smells like <laughs> you. Not buying it. I don't buy it. No. My money, I want a refund. Okay, so another tool bag is Tom Steyer. Mr. Steyer, you have denounced the special interests that pour hundreds of millions of dollars into the political process to influence it. But in fact, you have spent over $300 million of your own money in support of your political goals. How do you respond to critics who see you as the embodiment of a special interest? And you wrote what that question for the town over hall. The last decade on top. Right. Yeah. Is to <laughs> you could have put been. together coalitions of ordinary American citizens to take on unchecked corporate dollars. power. Like. We have a broken government in Washington, D.C. It's been purchased by corporations. Over the last decade, with the help of the American people, we have taken on and beaten the oil companies. We have taken on and beaten the tobacco companies. We have taken on and beaten utilities. We've taken on and beaten the drug companies. I've also built one of the largest grassroots organizations in the United States. Last year, Next Gen America did the largest youth voter mobilization in American history. I also, in partnership with seven national unions, knocked on 15 million doors in 2016 and Didn't 10 work. million in 2018. Yeah. What I've done is to try to push power down to the American people to take power away from the corporations who've bought our government. And I'm talking now about structural reform in Washington, D.C. Term limits. If you want bold change in the United States, mm -hmm. you're going to have to have new and different people in charge. I'm the only person on this stage who will talk about term limits. Vice President Biden won't. Senator Sanders won't. Even Mayor Pete Buttigieg will not talk about term limits and structural change. I would let the American people <laughs> pass laws themselves through direct democracy. Thank it's time to push the power Thank back you, to the Mr. people Steyer. and Thank away you, from D.C. $300 million on ads and to to run for president and to uh, raise knowledge for people to impeach Trump or whatever. Which never happened. No, and never will. I mean, um, not right. really. Um, and then, so Amy Klobuchar responds to Tom Steyer. Steyer, thank you. Senator Klobuchar, a brief Tom's response. Well, I just, I'm someone that comes, uh, doesn't come from money, and I appreciate the work of Mr. Steyer. Uh, but right now, we have a system that's not fair, and it's not just fair for money. And so what I would do is start a constitutional amendment and pass it to overturn Citizens United. That's what we should do so that we stop this dark money and outside money from coming into our politics. I have led the way on uh, voting. 
And I can tell you right now, one solution that would make a huge difference in this state would be allow every kid in the country to register to vote when they turn 18. If we had a system like exists. this, and we did something about gerrymandering, and we stopped the voting purges, and we did something significant. Again, these are concepts. Um, What's your plan? Sure What's your plan? Money in politics from the outside. Stacey How are you going to do that? Be governor of this state right now. Thank and you, that's Senator. That's what should have happened. So while I appreciate his work, I am someone that doesn't come from money. I see my husband out there. My first Senate race, I literally called everyone I knew and I set what is still an all-time Senate record. Thank I raised $17,000 from ex-boyfriends. <laughs> and I'd like to point out, it is There's not Kamal Harris yeah, laughing. So I don't just think this with my head. I, I feel thank it you. in my heart. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. Ms. Hey, and speaking to this sense of humor sidebar, um, Rachel Maddow, who um, was one of the moderators of this debate, and also um, I thought at the top of her game, she was absolutely just relaxed and thoughtful and chill. She didn't interrupt people. I thought Rachel Maddow has like never been better. She went on the record and said when Amy Klobuchar officially ran for president that she thought she was the funniest of all the candidates. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, wow, that speaks to something. So I don't know what kind of fucking chemistry they've got behind the goddamn lesbo scenes, but um, Rachel Maddow is partial to Amy Klobuchar. So. Okay, so up next, we've got Andrew Yang. Now, you might seem like we're hearing from him early on in our in our coverage here, but he didn't get to ask a question or get get called on for the first 30 minutes, and his panties are in a twist. Meow Meow found some, some coverage of him on Fox, right, Meow Meow? Mm -hmm. Saying, first of all, he tweeted to MSNBC, like, MSNBC, I'd love to come on your program, but you need to get on the air and apologize to me for not letting me speak until 30 minutes into the debate. Guess what? Don't need you. Like, literally, and like that. And for never giving his campaign, they never have anybody from his campaign right. there to talk. He's shunned from yeah. the general conversation or whatever. Yeah. So um, he's very mad. They're uh, not letting me on the conversation either, <laughs> Brandy. Where am I? Yeah, I, I want to bring you in, Mr. Yang. Mr. Yang, you've made a virtue of your outsider status. You've never served in the military or in government. What has prepared you to respond to a terrorist attack or a major disaster? Well, first, I just want to stick up for Tom. We have a broken campaign finance system, but Tom's been spending his own money fighting climate change. You can't knock someone for having money and spending it in the right way, in my opinion. Class move. Thanks, Andrew. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was a cute moment. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Genuine. As commander-in-chief, I think we need to be focused on the real threats of the 21st century. And what are those threats? Climate change, artificial intelligence, loose nuclear material, military drones, and non-state actors. And if you look up, we're in the process of potentially losing the AI arms race to China right now because they have more access to more data than we do, and their government is putting billions of dollars to work subsidizing the development of AI in a way that we are not. We are 24 years behind on technology. And I can say that with authority because we got rid of the Office of Technology Assessment in 1995. Think about that timing. I guess they thought they'd invented everything. The next commander in chief has oh, to be focused lovely. on the true threats <laughs> of tomorrow. And that's what I'll bring to the table as commander in chief. Thank you, Mr. Yang. He nearly needed to struggle through that bomb of a joke. Yeah, he said that joke several times. too. They're all doing the same material. And we've noticed, I mean, even all, right off the top with Elizabeth Warren talking about you got your go goods to market yeah, right, on roads right, and bridges that we right, paid for. Right. They've all got their shtick. Yeah. Andrew Yang definitely has a great sense of humor, period. Yeah, he's yeah. wearing a pin that says math. Right. He's he's reinvigorating yeah. the whole process in a way that just it's so inspiring and we love him. All right. Now we'll hear from 
Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Buttigieg, let's talk about your record as a candidate. You were elected mayor in a Democratic city, receiving just under 11,000 votes. And in your, only, in your only statewide race, you lost by 25 points. Why should Democrats take the risk of betting on you? Because I have the right experience to take on Donald Trump. I get that it's not traditional establishment Washington experience, but I would argue we need something very different right now. In order to de defeat this president, we need somebody who can go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, who actually comes from the kinds of communities that he's been appealing to. I don't talk a big game about uh, helping the working class while helicoptering between golf courses with my name on them. I don't even golf. As a matter of fact, I never thought I'd be on a Forbes magazine list, but uh, they did one of all the candidates by wealth, and I am literally the least wealthy person on this stage. I also wore the uniform of this country and know what is at stake in the decisions that are made in the Oval Office in the Situation Room. And I know how to bring people together to get things done. I know that from the perspective of Washington, what goes on in my city might look small, but frankly, where we live... The infighting on Capitol Hill is what looks small. The usual way of doing business in Washington is what looks small. And I believe we need to send somebody in who has a different kind of experience. The experience on the ground, solving problems, working side by side with neighbors on some of the toughest issues that come up in government. Recognizing what is required of executive leadership and bringing that to Washington so that Washington can start looking a little more like our best run communities in the heartland before the other Thank way you, around Mayor. starts to happen. Thank you. He doesn't say horrible things like it with as we've come to feel about Pete, like he has good things to say and he obviously is very thoughtful and articulate. With that said, I think that he's spinning everything i don't know what the washington needs to look like the heartland for i don't necessarily why does it need to be one place i don't want to keep going back to the heartland to the rural areas to this that and the other thing it should be about everyone not just about one place being the the heart of the country or whatever it's like we're all a part a heart of the country and i'm sick of that that argument right and, i do um, think he he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with donald trump and i watched all of these i watched the debate with michael Avenatti in the back of my head talking you know thinking about who could debate Donald Trump? Now, Pete Buttigieg is definitely all there. He's like 38 or 39. So he's definitely he's got the synapses firing, yeah. um, which is good because that's what it's going to take. I think finding out that he only won by 11,000 votes was disheartening. And it isn't that much. And I definitely and throughout the debate, he was saying thinking, saying things like we need someone who can bring people together. I'm half past give a shit when any of them say stuff like that. Yeah. I don't want to hear yeah. we need more opportunities. We need someone who's going to bring people together. We need to, you know, stop the gerrymandering. Unless you have a plan, unless you say, this is how I'm going to bring people together, then you're not going to do it. If you say, this is how we're going to stop gerrymandering, then you're not going to do it. We don't need to hear what we need. We know that. We know that. We know what we need. Exactly. We need to figure out how the fuck it's going to get done in 2020 the, when it hasn't gotten done in 2020 years. <laughs> yeah. OK, here's Amy Klobuchar. She she made a comment that if a woman um, had the experience Pete Buttigieg has, she would be like, basically, she wouldn't even be allowed on the stage. Thank you, Mayor. Yeah, Senator yeah. Klobuchar, you said this of Mayor Buttigieg, quote, of the women on the stage, do I think that we would be standing on that stage if we had the experience he had? No, I don't. Maybe we're held to a different standard. Senator, what did you mean by that? First of all, um, I've made very clear I think that Pete is qualified to be up on this stage, and I am honored to be standing next to him. But 
what I said was true. Women are held to a higher standard. Otherwise, we could play a game called Name Your Favorite Woman President, which we can't do because I mean, it has all been men. Humor. Um, and including all vice presidents being men. And I think any working woman out there, any woman right. at home, knows exactly what I mean. We have to work harder, and that's a fact. But I want to dispel one thing, because for so long, why has this been happening? I don't think you have to be the tallest person on this stage to be president. I don't think you have to be the skinniest person. I don't think you have the loudest voice on the stage. I don't think that means that you will be the one that should be president. I think what matters is if you're smart, if you're competent, and if you get things done. I am the one that has passed over 100 bills as the lead Democrat in that gridlock of Washington in Congress on this stage. I think you've got to win. And I am the one, Mr. Vice President, uh, that has been able to win every red and purple congressional district as the lead on a ticket every time. I govern both with my head and my heart. And if you think a woman can't beat Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi does it every single day. <laughs> She's right. Yep. Period. Period. Paloop. Which is why that's in there. Okay, so basically Rachel Maddow asked uh, Bernie Sanders about how his supporters have been chanting, lock him up at Bernie Sanders rallies about Trump. And she asked if, you know, Democrats should be above that or whatever the fuck. I mean, I mean, why? So Bernie Sanders answers that he doesn't really ever answer the question of if whether or not his supporters should be yelling that. And then they take it to Joe Biden. And it's basically just about the decorum and of the Democratic Party and how Trump has put everything into the gutter and should we try to raise it out. So that this is what Joe Biden is speaking to. President Biden, let me ask you to pick up on the issue that Senator Sanders just raised about no one being above the law. When President Ford pardoned President Nixon, he said it was to heal the country. Would you support a potential criminal investigation into President Trump after he leaves office, even if you thought it might further inflame the country's divisions? Look, I would not direct my Justice Department like this president does. I'd let them make their independent judgment. I would not dictate who should be prosecuted or who should be exonerated. That's not the role of the president of the United States. It's the attorney general of the United States, not the president's attorney, private attorney. And so I would, whatever was determined by the attorney general I supported, that I appointed, let them make an independent judgment. If that was the judgment that he violated the law and he should be, in fact, criminally prosecuted, then so be it. But I would not direct it. And I don't think it's a good idea that we mock, that, that, we, that we model ourselves after Trump and say, lock him up. Look, we have to bring this country together. Let's start talking civilly to people and treating, you know, the next president who starts tweeting should, anyway. It, it, it. <laughs> It just, we, look, it's about civility. We have to restore the soul of this country. And that's not who we are. That's not who we've been. That's not who we should be. Follow the law. Let the Justice Department make the judgment as to whether or not someone should be prosecuted, period. Now it's time for a Joe Biden sidebar, meow meow. <laughs> Now, kids, that was the the one of the only besides the other clip we played of Joe Biden. Those are pretty much his two most cohesive mm. moments of the night. He basically had a two and a half hour senior moment 
I think it was many factors. I mean, the man is in his late 70s. Mm-hmm. The debate started at 730. <laughs> and as we know, when you're getting up there in the years, I mean, no, with all due, with all due, you get tired. You get tuckered out in the evening. Older people, as we know, they better in the morning, honey. They waking up at the crack of dawn <laughs> mm-hmm. when the sun crests over the mountaintops <laughs> is when the eyes pop open. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you I've gotten many a call from Pam at a 5 a.m. And I'm like, Mom, y- you're, you're, you're tripping, boo. <laughs> so um, we know he's probably much better in the morning, mm-hmm. brunch time, maybe even in early afternoon, which is when we saw him speak. Yeah, perhaps. And I do think he's going through a lot right now with his son and all of that stuff. He's feeling I think Joe Biden is very sensitive. I think his feelings actually get hurt. Yeah. And I believe that what I was what I thought was watching him is he was distracted. He was feeling sad. He was bummed out about fucking Hunter. And he was tired. He was tired. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm saying he's tired, too. But I do think those other things added to that, because when you're tired and you're bummed out, you're not good. Yeah. And it also that's two and a half hours on your feet. These are that's that's I don't care what your age is. Standing there in one spot for two and a half hours isn't easy. And it was it's it's it was all of the above. But um, I can tell you what I fast forwarded him quite a bit. Yeah. And it's it's part of our job here today to tell you where everybody stood, what everybody was. And and there is a there is an age factor, as as um, mm-hmm. Jame would say uh-huh. when it comes to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know what? He can set his hours at whatever he wants. <laughs> That's true. And he can work from 5 a.m to to two to to 4 p.m <laughs> and then be like it's a wrap and then if something comes up later in the situation mm-hmm. room he can have some cough yeah he can sit down in a comfy office yep. chair and deal with nuking whatever country he needs to fucking do <laughs> okay so up next is they talk about paid family leave so we'll start with andrew yang we now focus on an issue facing many americans child care and paid family leave Here in Georgia, the average price of infant daycare can be as much as $8,500 per child per year. That's more than in-state tuition at a four-year public college in Georgia. Mm. Mr. Yang, what would you do as president to ease that financial burden? There are only two countries in the world that don't have paid family leave for new moms, the United States of America and Papua New Guinea. That is the entire list, and we need to get off this list as soon as possible. I would pass paid family leave as one of the first things we do. I have two kids myself who are four and seven, one of whom is autistic and has special needs, and it's breaking families' backs. We need to start supporting our kids and families from the beginning, because by the time they're showing up to pre-K and kindergarten, in many cases, they're already years behind. Studies have shown that two-thirds of our kids' educational outcomes are determined by what's happening to them at home. This is stress levels number of words read to them as children, type of neighborhood, whether a parent has time to spend with them. So we need to have a freedom dividend in place from day one, $1,000 a month for every American adult, which would put, in many cases, $2,000 a month into families' pockets so that they can either pay for childcare or, if they want, stay home with the child. We should not be pushing everyone to leave the home and go to the workforce. Many parents see that trade-off and say if they leave the home and work, they're going to be spending all the money on childcare anyway. In many cases, it would be better if the parent stays home with the child. Thank Cut you. the shit! We need childcare. What care. are they doing? 
Do you guys, do you want a babysitter? Andrew Yang is going to give us $1,000 and we're going to find new homes for all of you. Wow. We're going to auction you off on the podcast. <laughs> I wonder how much we could get for the dogs. Okay. Amy Klobuchar is proposing three months family leave. Um, Kamala Harris says six months. We'll hear from Kamala Harris. And Senator Harris, why six months and also how would you pay for that? Sure. And, and, and everybody, please visit my website, KamalaHarris.org, <laughs> for the details on everything mm -hmm. I talk about. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> six months. So part of how mm -hmm. I believe we're going to win this election is it is going to be because we are focused on the future. We are focused on the challenges that, that are presented today and not trying to bring back yesterday to solve tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So on paid family leave, it is no longer the case in America that people are having children in their 20s. People are having children in their 30s, often in their 40s, which means oh. that these families and parents are often raising young children and taking care and of their old. parents. they old <laughs> and tired. Tired. From traveling back and forth to a hospital, to daycare, to all of the activities that are required, much less the health care needs that I are i got to take care of Pam and, and my kids. What we are seeing in America <laughs> Damn. is the burden much. principally falls on women mm -hmm. to do that work. And many women are having to make a very difficult choice whether they're going to leave a profession for which they have a passion to care for their family or whether they are going to give up a paycheck that is part of what that family relies on. Yeah, we all have on. a passion for our so money. So six That's months it. paid family leave is meant to and is designed to adjust to the reality of women's lives today. The reality also is that women are not paid equal for equal work in America. We passed the Equal Pay Act in 1963. But fast forward to the year of our Lord, 2019, and women are paid 80 cents on the dollar, black women 61 cents, Native American women 58 cents, Latinas 53 cents. Thanks. So, but, so my policy... It's a woman cutting a, you off. Yeah. Whole we don't need... <laughs> ...of work that I am doing that is focused on women and working women in America and the inequities and therefore the injustice Oof. that women in America are facing that needs to be resolved and, and addressed. Thank you. Oh, I just want her debating Trump so bad. I know. She, that's talk all I about think going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. That's all I can think about. She's the one that can go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. She is the one. Justice is on the ballot in 2020. That's oh, what she says. God. Okay, now an issue near and dear to our hearts, not just because Meow Meow asked Kamala Harris about the homeless epidemic in California, also because you moved this year. We've, yes. we've experienced the housing crisis yeah. in LA firsthand. I Airbnb my house. I'm a homeowner. It's just... We deal with the housing um, in, Los oh my God. in Southern California um, on the daily yeah. and also with homeless. So we'll start with Tom Steyer because I think he speaks to it well. Oh. Mr. Steyer, millions of working Americans are finding that housing has become unaffordable, especially in metropolitan areas. It is particularly acute in your home state of California and places like Los Angeles and San Francisco. Why are you the best person to fix this problem? When you look at inequality in the United States of America, you have to start with housing. Where you put your head at night determines so many things about your life. It determines where your kids go to school. It determines the air you breathe, where you shop, how long it takes you to get to work. What we've seen in California is as a result of policy, we have millions too few housing units. And that affects everybody in California. It starts with a homeless crisis that goes all through the state, but it also includes skyrocketing rents that affect every single working person in the state of California. I understand exactly what needs to be done here, which is we need to change policy and we need to apply resources here to make sure that we build literally millions of new units.
But the other thing that's going to be true about building these units is we're going to have to build them in a way that's sustainable. That in fact, how we build units, where people live, has a dramatic impact on climate and on sustainability. So we are going to have to direct dollars, we're going to have to change policy and make sure that the, the localities and municipalities who've worked very hard to make sure that there are no new housing units built in their towns, that they have to change that and we're going to have to force it and then we're going to have to direct federal dollars to make sure that those units are affordable so that working people can live in places and not Thank be you, spending 50% of their income on rent. Thank you. Now that's where his 300 million could go, right? Yeah, he could go ahead. Right. Go build the houses then, Tom. Even if you just like, do it one one municipality in California, I, I, you could make a huge difference. I don't understand. You 300 million dollars, you could build probably, I don't know, I don't even know, but I'm sure yeah. one whole entire building that could have 300 units in it. Right. Like but it was I do think it's interesting about where it's where inequality starts and yeah. and and that's true. Yep. Um here's here's a Senator Elizabeth Warren who has a plan. Thank you. Yes. Um <laughs> think of it this way. Our housing problem in America is a problem on the supply side. And that means that the federal government stopped building new housing a long time ago, affordable housing. Also, private developers, they've gone up to the mansions. They're not building the little two-bedroom, one-bath house that I grew up in, garage converted to be a bedroom for my three brothers. So I've got a plan for 3.2 million new housing units in America. Those are housing units for working families, for the she working poor, for the poor yeah. poor, not, we for need, seniors who right. want to age Force in place, municipalities. for people with disabilities, right. for people who are coming back from being incarcerated. It's about tenants' rights, but there's Genius. one more piece. Housing is how we build wealth in America. The federal government has subsidized the purchase of housing for decades for white people, and has said for black people, you're cut out of the deal. That was known as redlining. When I built a housing plan, it's not only a housing plan about building new units, it's a housing plan about addressing what is wrong about government-sponsored discrimination, how we need to address you, it, Senator. and we need to say we're going to reverse Thank it. Thank you, Senator. She yeah. has a plan. I mean, just, yes. Government-sponsored discrimination. Right. She has a plan of how to address it. She literally just said that. What's the plan? If you want it in detail, I guess hit her website. You can, it's and all literally there. it's all there. Every single plan is there, and it's laid out. You can go, oh, the plan for this. Oh, the plan for that, and it's there. Okay, so up next, they're all, all the candidates are asked about race and different questions relating to race. Okay, so we'll start with Andrew Yang. Chinese. He might be <laughs> Taiwanese, actually, which is even more genius because... We've been to Taiwan. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, Andrew Yang. Mr. Yang, what would you do about the issue of white supremacist violence? Well, first, we have to designate white supremacist terrorism as domestic terrorism so that the Department of Justice can properly measure it. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I talked to an anti-hate activist named Christian Picciolini, who told me about how he was radicalized uh, over a 10-year period. He said he was a lonely... 14-year-old and that he was reached out to by a hate group and he wound up joining it for a decade. Now he's out and he's helping uh, convert people out of those hate groups and back into the rest of society. But what he told me was that if anyone had reached out to him when he was that hurt, broken 14-year-old boy, he would have gone with them. He said if it had been a coach, I would have gone with him. If it had been a mentor or teacher, I would have gone with them. But instead it was a hate group. So what we have to do is we have to get into the roots of our communities and create paths forward for men in particular who right now are falling through the cracks. 
And when you look at gun violence in this country, 96 plus percent of the shooters we're talking about are young boys and young men. We have to, as a country, start finding ways to turn our boys into healthy, strong young men who do not hate, but instead feel like they have paths forward in today's economy. Taiwanese, by the way. Oh, sweet. That was great. I think so, so interesting and yep. thoughtful on the conversation mm-hmm. and, and helpful. Up next, they asked Kamala a question um, about Pete Buttigieg. So basically, his campaign got into like a little hot water because they rolled out some kind of, whether it was like a plan for like equality or black people or whatever it was, it was some kind of like racial justice plan. And they used a stock photo of a woman from Haiti um, and a and her child, and it was just a cheesy stock photo. I mean, I'm sad. I'm not oh, ending, up, ending up on any of these campaign websites because <sighs> God knows I've done my fair of stock photography for three hundred dollars, and then I'm like <laughs> just doing some shit with like who knows. But riding a bike through the woods, mm-hmm. it, smelling a towel from yeah, the from <laughs> exactly the exactly just sitting in a kitchen doing yeah, nothing and just that, sitting and there every woman his his campaign got caught um, acting like they care about black people and then using <laughs> black americans and then using not only a picture of a woman who wasn't even american Ugh. she wasn't affiliated with the campaign in any way it wasn't God. a personal photograph she wasn't even paid by the campaign to use her photograph so not cute not a good look this week you criticized mayor pete Buttigieg's outreach to african-american voters you said quote the democratic nominee has got to be someone who has the experience of connecting with all of who we are as the diversity of the American people, end quote. What exactly prompted you to say that, Senator Harris? Well, that was asked a question um, that (laughs) related to a stock photograph um, that his campaign published. But listen, I think that it really speaks to a larger issue, and and I'll speak to the larger issue. I I believe that the um, the mayor has um, made apologies for that. Um, the larger issue is that for too long, I think, candidates have taken for granted constituencies that have been the backbone of the Democratic Party and have overlooked those constituencies and um, have, you know, they show up when it's, you know, close to election time and show up in a black church um, and, and want to get the vote, but just haven't been there before. I mean, you know, the the there are plenty of people who applauded black women for the success of the 2018 election, applauded black women for the election of a senator from Alabama. Um, but, you know, at some point, folks get tired of just saying, oh, you know, thank me for showing up and, want, and, and say, well, show up for me. Because when black women, when black women are three to four times more likely to die in connection with childbirth in America, when the sons of black women will die because of gun violence more than any other cause of death, when black women make 61 cents on the dollar as compared to all women who tragically make 80 cents on the dollar, the question has to be, where you been (laughs) and what are you going to do? And do you understand who the people are? And I'm running for president because I believe 
that we have to have leadership in this country who has worked with and have the experience of working with all folks. And we've got to recreate the Obama coalition to win. And that means about women, that's people of color, that's our LGBTQ community, that's working people, that's our labor unions. But that is how we are going to win this election, and Senator, I intend to win. Senator Harris. She's right. She's 100% right. And her and Joe Biden are doing it the best right now. We'll have to say that. Okay, so up next, Elizabeth Warren finally giving a compelling oh. argument to why she wants to do student loan forgiveness. And for me, this was the most profound moment of the night because I have not understood Elizabeth Warren talking about using, you know, the wealth tax or whatever else to forgive people's student loans. I'm just like, really? We got to add that to it? And I finally, finally, finally get it. So... I think it is really important that we actually talk about what we're willing to get in the fight for. And I just want to give one example around this. Senator Harris rightly raised the question of economic justice. Let me give a specific example, and that is student loan debt. Right now in America, in America, African Americans are more likely to borrow money to go to college, borrow more money while they're in college, and have a harder time paying that debt off after they get out. Today in America, a new study came out 20 years out. Whites who borrowed money, 94% of them have paid off their student loan debt. 5% of African Americans have paid it off. I believe that means everyone on this stage should be embracing student loan debt forgiveness. It will help close the black-white wealth gap. Let's do something tangible and real to make change in this country. It, honestly, it's like because of my own privileged, resentful lens, I had student loans. I just paid them off a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. They were $500 a month mm -hmm. my whole entire adult life, and it was a fucking nightmare. And I know the Obamas, when Obama took office, him and Michelle were still paying their student loans. It never occurred to me that I just thought no one fucking paid them off. I didn't know that yeah. white people did more than black people or X, Y, Z. I was just like, it sucks. And, and it holds and, you down. And no one pays them off. You're either right. lucky enough that your parents paid for your school right. or you're, you know, unfortunately you had to get loans and you're stuck paying them for the rest of your goddamn life. Right. And either you default and your credit goes in the garbage. Right. I didn't realize there was any statistic like that. I'm so happy she finally said it. I'm way more supportive of it now. I completely, completely get it. And yeah, let's do something fucking tangible. And thank you, Liz, for fucking finally explaining your goddamn <laughs> self. That's what these debates are for. Okay, so here's Cory Booker getting a little cunty with Joe Biden. I, I have a lot of respect uh, for, for the vice president. He has swore me into my office as a hero. This week, I hear him literally say that I don't think we should legalize marijuana. I, 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 I thought you might have been high when you said it. <laughs> and... and let me tell you, because, because marijuana, marijuana, marijuana in our country is already legal for privileged people. And it's one, the war on drugs has been a war on black and brown people. And so let me just, let me just say this. With more African Americans under criminal supervision in America than all the slaves since 1850, do not roll up into communities and not talk directly to issues that are going to relate to the liberation of children because there are people in Congress right now that admit to smoking marijuana while there are people, our kids are in jail right now for those drug crimes. And so these are the kind of issues that mean a lot to our community. And if we don't have somebody authentically, we lost the last election. Let me just give you this data example. We lost in, in Wisconsin because of a massive diminution, a lot of reasons, 
but there was a massive diminution in the African-American vote. We need to have someone that can inspire, as Kamala said, to inspire African-Americans to the polls at record numbers. Thank you, numbers. Senator. So, so, so thrilled she cut him off there with I her mean, fucking voice. I mean, yeah, why did she need to keep doing that? That is my favorite statistic. It is yeah. the most profound statistic. Mm-hmm. There are more black people incarcerated than all of the slaves since 1850 combined. Like, fucking, it is, uh, my mind can't even, it's literally, to me, like, trying to imagine infinity. It is fucking outrageous and terrible and awful and sad and crazy and it's been ignored for too long every time someone says it i have an inner applause i'm like yes i love hearing it i love hearing van jones talk about it i'm like this needs to be out people need to understand they sit in their bubble and they don't know what's going on and yeah joe biden has this the huge unwavering support of the black community he needs to fucking take these issues and he needs to not be in the pocket of special interest he needs to take care of the community that's probably going to elect him and he needs to start now his fucking campaign needs to listen up and start now and if that means legalizing marijuana so that all of those people wrongly incarcerated or stupidly incarcerated or overly incarcerated for too long get to be set free then that's the way it needs to go um now it's time for another sidebar This is an abortion sidebar. Mm. So they ask the candidates about pro-life, pro-choice, abortion, blah, blah, blah. We usually always leave it out because it's <laughs> fucking whatever. Um, particularly this time we left it out in the interest of time. And also while doing the research, I read that Obama in one of the debates said that he would make it his top priority. The first thing in his first um, 10 days in office that he would codify Roe v. Wade. That means make the Supreme Court ruling of abortion being a legal right a law instead of just a precedent right he would codifying it means you would make roe v wade a law right now whoever they asked on that stage said that they would the first thing they did when they get in office was codify roe v wade right. obama said he would do it and guess what he never did yep. and then when they asked him about it you said you would codify roe v wade um why haven't you done it yet he had control of the house democrats had control of it when you first got in he said it's not my top priority then by his second term we had lost the house and the senate and then his hands were tied it's just something to keep in mind when you're listening to all of this. Like they make a lot of promises and, you know, politics ties your hands. People tie your hands. Money ties your hands. Blackmail ties your hands. I don't know what skeletons you got in your closet. I don't know if you had your son making 80 grand a month <laughs> on a Ukrainian board. I don't know what's going to tie your hands, but I'm not going to sit and fucking listen to some promises that you got to take all of this with a grain of salt and you really got to go. Don't vote. Don't single issue vote and don't vote on a promise. Vote on the person that you trust not to make you fucking homeless. So on the abortion topic, Cory Booker used the topic of abortion because they're in Georgia where they have the heart, a heartbeat bill, bill, which is basically an, um, an anti-abortion law to bring the conversation to voter suppression, which was huge in Georgia. There was a voting station in a in a predominantly black neighborhood which was right next door to basically a kind of like a row of like elderly homes. It was a place where like 
were elderly. It was like an elderly black community where they're like in assisted livings and reti- it was a retirement community and it's a walking community. And it was the voting station in that community where they were to go and walk and vote during the midterms. There was a sign on the door. The door was locked and said that their voting had been relocated across town. And the only way they could get to that voting station was by a car or public transportation. And guess what those elderly people did? Stayed home. They went on back to their homes and got some coffee and went out and sat in the sun (laughs) and ate some soup. So they didn't vote. And that's a perfect example of voter suppression. And that happened in Georgia. So here's Cory Booker talking about it in terms of abortion. This is a voting issue. This is a voter suppression issue. Right here in this great state of Georgia, it was the voter suppression, particularly of African-American communities, that prevented us from having a Governor Stacey Abrams right now. And that is, when you have undemocratic means, when you suppress people's votes to get elected, those are the very people you're gonna come after when when you're in office. And this bill, opposed by over 70%, the heartbeat bill here, opposed by over 70% of Georgians, is the result from voter suppression. This gets back to the issue about making sure we are fighting every single day that whoever is the nominee, they can overcome the attempts to suppress the votes, particularly of low-income and minority voters, and particularly in the black community like we saw here in Georgia. Senator Booker. And here's Pete Buttigieg about the same topic, voter suppression. Individual states, as you all know, set their own rules for voting and for elections. Depending on where you live, you may be required to show ID or not. You might have a lot of days for early voting or fewer days or none. You might have a polling place in walking distance or you might have to drive or take a bus to the edge of town. With that in mind, our next question comes from Jenna in Maryland, who asks, what will you do at the executive level to ensure that every American has equal access to the ballot box? Mayor Buttigieg. I liked these ideas. uh, We need federal leadership to establish voting rights for the 21st century, because this affects every other issue that we care about. Now, the House of Representatives passed a a pro-democracy, anti-corruption bill, which is one of many good bills to die in Mitch McConnell's hands in the United States Senate. We know that with the White House in the right hands, we can make, for example, election days a federal holiday. Love that. We can use carrots and sticks to induce states to do the right thing with automatic voter registration same-day voter registration, making it easier for people to vote, and in particular, recognizing that we cannot allow the kind of racially motivated or partisan voter suppression or gerrymandering that often dictates the outcome of election before the voting even begins. Right now, we have politicians picking out their voters rather than the other way around. That compounding with what is being done to restrict the right to vote means that our democracy is not worthy of the name. Yeah, I like those ideas too. Making election a federal holiday, perfect. So then they all made closing statements. They went 30 minutes over, (laughs) kind of like this podcast. And um, they all made closing statements and we chose Bernie um, as our favorite closing statement and how we're going to close out the, the debate coverage. Senator Sanders. Thank you. Let me say a word about myself. Unusual as it may seem. (laughs) Uh, I am the son of an immigrant, young man of 17, who came to this country without a nickel in his pocket. I have some sense of the immigrant experience. I will stand with the 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country. 
stand and stand. At the age of 21, <laughs> as a member of a civil rights group at the University of Chicago, I was arrested, spent the night in jail. That's hot. And I have been committed to the fight against all forms of discrimination, racial discrimination, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, and religious bigotry. I will lead an administration that will look like America, will end the divisiveness brought by Trump and bring us together. During this campaign, I am proud to say that I have received more campaign contributions <laughs> than any candidate at this point in an election in American history. Wow. Over four million contributions, averaging $18 a piece. If you want to be part of a movement <laughs> that is not only going to beat Trump, but transform America, that doesn't have a super PAC, doesn't do fundraisers at wealthy people's home, please join us Sweet. at BernieSanders.com. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, great. Yeah, I thought that was a, a good way to end it. And, and a, they all got to choose whatever they were going to say. And I right. thought he showcased himself well. Yeah. And Do you have any final thoughts? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, the debates are boring yeah. and, um, you know, they're all kind of saying the same thing at this point. And so now we just need to weed it out, whittle it down, you know, get the, get our, get, let's get to the top five or even the top three. And, and then I know that it will get a little more exciting and a little more actual debatey. Well, there's another debate next month. It's in LA. We're really trying to get tickets, Mamia and I, just to sit in the back row and be bored just one more time, but it live. We're going to cover every single one. So, because until it's hammered home, if it needs to be narrowed down to the top five, who are your top five? Bernie, Elizabeth, Kamala, Joe, Yang. Those are my top five. And mine. Okay. And that pretty much sums up the debate highlights. So that's it for the third ever Democratic debate episode of Dumb Gay Politics. Yay. Thank you guys so much for sticking around to the very end, listening to the whole thing. If you haven't signed up for our Patreon podcast yet, go over to patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics. You can choose to pledge $1 for one bonus podcast a week or $2 for two bonus podcasts a week. Um, we have some free ones posted so you can listen and see if you like it. Join with a friend and share your password. We don't care. That's what we do absolutely that is what we actually do i know you look you have my netflix you're like why the hell are you watching uh big hero six on top of goddamn sherlock on top of you Black. and you have my showtime and i have your showtime and you uh are normal we don't even need to share hbo because we got that free from at&t <laughs> right. um but we would and we have in the past shared hbo go that's right and we will so we'll be back next week with a regular episode for those of you that just want that regular weed regular weed next week everybody have a wonderful thanksgiving <laughs> don't drink too much just be thankful that you alive okay and as always it's been real and it's been fun but mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb and debatey thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> <I'm being well. laughs>
How'd you do, I? See you've met my faithful hand in hand. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme, maybe. Play you a sign. You look like you're both pretty groovy. Or if you want something visual, that's not too abysmal. We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual. Transylvania <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Right. Or maybe a bite. Right. I could show you my favorite obsession. I've been making a man with blonde hair and a tan. And he's good for relieving my tension. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> So, come up to the lab And see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the race is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom. <laughs> <laughs> 